Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovic, and sitting across from me is, uh, is my good buddy Dan Murphy. Dan, what's going on, man? Well, it's just great to be back on the on the program. Yeah, I haven't. I, I feel like last year I didn't have you on. I had you on the first year of the PDO Cast, yeah. I remember, and we talked about Tortorella and everything that had gone wrong that season. And yeah. we haven't had a, chat, a chance. I mean, we've been on TV together, but, and we've done our uh, naked guy, naked, naked eye versus nerdy guy. Sorry, not you're not you're not naked. <laughs> um, naked eye versus nerdy guy show. Um, articles on Sportsnet but this is the first podcast we've done yeah and that uh, the, the column those are you know was kind of reunited after some time uh, Drance came in took over and now yeah it was back a little, in your rightful spot it was a little bit of a hiatus but uh hopefully we'll get to do some more of those this year we they're, should they're pretty fun um so we are recording this uh on a Friday morning I think we're probably going to run it on Monday because I don't think anyone's gonna be listening to podcasts on Friday night um so hopefully nothing too crazy happens at the Canucks home opener on Saturday <laughs> that we wind up looking silly about. But uh, we're going to talk a little bit about, we're going to do a bit of a Canucks season preview, and then we'll talk about just other random stuff, whatever. Wherever our discussion takes us, we'll go from there. Okay. So um, in, I was putting together some notes before we started the show on key storylines for the Canucks in 2017-18. And there's... It's a lot of the same stuff we've been talking about for the past couple of years. So I feel like at this point, fans might be kind of just worn out by, you know, the discussion of can Vancouver handle a rebuild? Will the fans tune out and stuff like that? But that still feels like it's probably the most kind of pertinent storyline to this Canucks team right now. Yeah. And, you know, I think they are rebuilding, you know, the, the Last, well, I, last, I, 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 last, hope, I hope they are. Last offseason, I mean, the Erickson signing was ridiculous. I mean, I think everybody saw it that, you know, at that point in the Canucks curve was just the wrong thing to do. And I think they were still, that was year three for Willie, and they had made the playoffs once, missed. And I think they were still hoping that the team was more year one than year two under Willie, but everybody knew it wasn't. Um, so that signing, it, it, it bothered me. This past summer, even though they're you know busiest team in free agency, the signings didn't bother me as much. Gagne three years, okay, right? Maybe too much term, but the other guys short term, you can trade them if you want for picks if things go down the drain like most people think it will for this team. Uh, so I thought that the off season was good in that sense. I know people are probably upset that it doesn't leave room for more young players on the roster, and right. we can talk about that in a bit. But I thought this offseason far more resembled the offseason of a rebuilding team than last offseason, mainly because of the signing of Erickson. Right. So with rebuilding teams like this, um, one of the kind of interesting things that always comes up is, you know, you sort of have these uh, dueling things going on where, like, generally the head coach is incentivized to win as many games as possible because if he doesn't, he'll probably lose his job. Yeah. And I think we saw a little bit of that with Willie last year, especially towards the start of the season where, you know, they were really slowing it down and mucking it up and trying to squeeze out as many, you know, 2-1 overtime wins as they could. Yeah. And I understand that from a coach's perspective, but obviously if you're rebuilding, you want to, you know, you're probably going to lose a lot of games, but you want to give those young guys experience and give them a chance to grow and see what you have in them. 
And so do you think that the, the fact that they brought in a new coach now and Travis Green, who worked with some of these guys in the AHL, like, is he going to have the sort of creative freedom and the job stability to actually play this thing out properly? Or do you think maybe it'll be like that for a couple of weeks and months and then all of a sudden we'll go back to he's on the hot seat because they're one of the worst teams in the league? Well, I don't think he'll be on. He got a four-year deal. So right. I don't think he's going to be on the hot seat in year one or year two. I think the question is what's his ideology of developing young players? Um, because... Fans obviously would love Goldobin to start the season in Vancouver. Besser, Vertanen to be in the opening night lineup, and I think one of those two will be out. We'll know by the time this thing runs on Monday. Right. Um, you know, even uh, Ulevi, why not just have him here developing at the NHL level? I don't think that's what Green wants. I think probably, you know, you saw them sign these veterans because uh, in the Austin, because I think they want the young guys to develop properly. If a guy is ready to play some minutes at the NHL level, great. Uh, but losing with the kids, if the, some people say, if you're going to lose, why not lose with the kids? Right. But losing with the kids, I don't think is great for the kids. Right. And I think you only have to look to Edmonton between Pronger and McDavid to see that. Yeah. They hand the, you know, obviously Hall, fantastic player, Nuja Hopkins, good player. Um, Eberly, good player, Yakupov, who knows. But they had all these young, really good players, high draft picks, hand them the keys to the kingdom, got good contracts. Um, and I, I never say that, that, that they liked losing, but if you get used to losing time and time and time and time again, that's going to wear on your psyche in some way or form. So I think you have to be careful what position you put kids in, especially, I mean, Old, like Vanek, I mean, he could lose every game. It's going to bother him at this point of his career right, as much not. in terms yeah. of his development. Right. No, you don't care, yeah. right? Sam Gagne has been through it, I mean, in Edmonton, yeah. right? Yeah. He, there's another player. So I think you have to be careful in that sense, not just to, you know, throw them in there and let them just get beat up daily and lose on a bad team, um, you know, before they're ready. And I, that, you know, I think that's probably one thing that Travis Green is looking at. Right. So we wrote about this in the aforementioned uh, Naked Eye versus Nerdy Guy column during the summer, but I guess we can rehash that topic a little bit here. Like, What were your thoughts on the summer the Canucks did have? Because, you know, as you mentioned, they were probably the most busy team in the league. And if you look at all of those transactions just in a vacuum by themselves, they all pretty much check out or make sense. I mean, it seems like, you know, they didn't invest too much in any of those guys other than maybe the extra year on Gagne, but that may, may be the price you have to pay to bring them here. Um so all those guys look like, you know, you can put them in a bigger role here than they might have gotten out somewhere else. They can produce and potentially you trade them for draft picks mm-hmm. or young players or something down the road and sort of recoup assets that way. So I see that perspective of it. But I, I think some Canucks fans might be a little bit gun shy because, you know, we've gone through this where they've been sort of fighting the full mm-hmm. rebuild and they've been trying to kind of patchwork it and put a, put a Band-Aid fix as opposed to fully just blowing yeah. it up. And it seems like I can see why people would be a bit worried about them going down that road again rather than just acknowledging what they are and fully de- investing in it. Yeah, but but I think that, I mean, I think that last year they did it pretty much perfectly. Right. Right? They, they kind of were competitive thanks a, a lot of nights to Ryan Miller. Yep. Um, uh, stayed in games, didn't get shell-shocked too much, and, and then the last, what, 12 straight to end it to finish second last overall. Right. Only to get screwed by the lottery. Yeah. So I think last year they kind of did the right way, and I think this year they can set up to do it that way again. Like, because... The players in the locker room, they want to win. Mm. You know, yeah. they're not wired to tank. Right. But, you know, when you see things in January and February that it's not... I just hope that the management knows when to pull the plug on a season. Right. And you do that early enough to make it worth your while. Yeah. So I think you kind of can a little bit straddle the fence. But when it's time to jump off the fence, you got to pull that plug right away. And then, you know... I I'm with the numbers guys on the draft lottery. Hmm. I know they've gotten screwed by it two years in a row. Right. But it's like poker. You give yourself the best chance at the highest pick. You have yep. to do that. Yep. Right? Especially on a year like this where there's such a prize. Yeah. Uh, well, there's two up top. Yeah, two now. Right? So um, I think they're in a good position to do that again. Uh, to, you know, the only, the only thing that could screw them is if somehow – they're more competitive than we thought. I don't think that's going to happen. Right. I think perhaps the team is a little bit deeper. Yeah. I think maybe the special teams can be a little bit better. 
I think the goaltending is a little bit worse. So that might all equal out again in this very tough division. Right, yeah. When you were saying um, there's a cart going on behind us. Um, <laughs> the perils of doing this in yes, a room you're not yeah, used to. No, no worries. We'll power through it. Um, yeah, the thing is, is like when you mentioned uh, you know, management pulling the plug and acknowledging when it's time to admit defeat, fortunately, I, I guess maybe, is uh, just looking at this roster, maybe that decision might be out of their own hands because yep. I think there's only so much you can do with the talent that's assembled here right now. So I guess that could be a silver lining where even if they want to win, there's only so much winning they can actually do right now. No question, especially when you see Edmonton. Hmm. Calgary should be good. Yep. I mean, Anaheim, I think, is still very good. You know, the older guys are getting to the end, but their young guys are very good. Um, now you're going to be able to compete, you'd think, with uh, Vegas, with Colorado, right? right? I mean, yeah. like, there's going to be... But I think you're exactly right. The team is... It's, it's just not good enough, right? I mean, I think we all see the deficiencies. Um, it doesn't have a first line. Yeah. I mean, you'd love for Horvat and Berchi and, and Besser to be a good first line, but realistically, on a very good team, you know, Bo Horvat's a second-line center. Right. Right? Yep. I mean, his numbers, and maybe, maybe he grows. Um, so... I. I just think that this year can play out a lot like last season in that uh, when the time comes, maybe you sell off some of these assets. Maybe Bermistroff goes, maybe Vanek goes for whatever. Uh, And then you bring up some young guys for the end of the season and you kind of lose out. And then you finish near the bottom and you hope that the lottery doesn't mangle you like it has two years in a row. Yeah. So do you disagree or do you agree or disagree with the statement? Um, Jim Benning is getting better on the job. I think that... I w- I, yeah, I would say that I agree with the statement he's getting better on the job, but I think only because now there's clear direction. Right. Right? And I think that for a couple of years there, and through his fault and probably through ownership's fault, they thought they could turn it around quickly, only realized that was impossible. Yep. Uh, and now that there seems to be clear direction, maybe starting at last season's trade deadline yeah. with the Hanson and, and Burroughs departures, um, that there's a direction that they want to take this thing. So I think that ever since the deadline, things have looked a whole lot better if we're talking about a rebuild. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, when you're in a position that the Canucks are in right now as the GM, it gives you sort of the luxury of maybe getting a little creative or, or you know, throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. And we saw a great exa- example of that with the uh, Derek Pouliot trade where why not? Let's see, you know, he was a former high pick, highly regarded prospect, um, you know, clearly wore out his welcome a bit in Pittsburgh, but why not see if there's anything there? And they didn't really have to give up a premium to take that type of calculated risk. So I, I think people would like to see more moves like that. And as you mentioned, the trade deadline with the trades, um, you know, that was something that they really messed up on in the trade deadline prior, yeah. uh, kind of just keeping all those veterans as opposed to cashing in those tickets. And so I think more stuff like that would probably uh, curry some favor in this market with the fan base. And you're going to see that I think the big test then will be uh, Chris Tanev this year. Mm. Because you know Travis Green wants Chris Tanev on his team. It's his right. best defenseman. Uh, but I also think we know that there's probably zero chance that Chris Tanev, as an unrestricted free agent, is going to resign in Vancouver. Right. So I think you have to take all those things into account and hope. I think that's the biggest test for this management group this season is when it's time to pull the plug. Yep. What do you get for Chris Tanev? Or let's make sure that Chris Tanev is one of the guys on the way out. Uh, something they didn't do or failed to do with Dan Hamhus a couple seasons ago. So, I mean, obviously this depends on what the offers were and what the market for him was like. But do you think that they should have made that decision this past summer? Um, possibly, but I think it's... Uh, I guess you have to wait and see what the market is. Uh, you know, I, I've heard rumors that uh, they were open to it, depending on the player to get back. Right. If, it was, if it was kind of like a Nugent Hopkins yes. type of, type right, of right. deal. Um, so I think that's something they will definitely explore. You'd be silly not to. Uh, but, I mean, I think what they do with Tanev will be, uh, you know, that's going to be part of the answer to is Jim Benning getting better at his job, if right. that's a guy that they, they do move. Because I think, I think you have to. So before you said Tanev's name, when you said the big test coming up for him, I thought you were going to say this. Well, but I think the, the one good thing about the Sedins is that they're realists too. Right. And when everybody says we are going to fully reevaluate after the season, I truly believe that. Uh, I also think that if, the, if this team was further along in its development, it might be easier to resign the Twins 
for one-year deals, whatever money, not big money, to be your third liners. But the team, I don't think, is going to be in that position yet. So can you afford to bring them back as your second liners on that same money? I mean, you hear all the poll questions, you know, what's the biggest question mark with the, with the, the Canucks? And, and the Sedins ran away with it. I don't think that's a question mark. I think we know what's going to happen with the Twins. I think you'd love for them to have 50-point seasons. Right. But the last couple of years, we've, you know, they're taking steps back. Yeah. Uh, they're probably going to get surpassed in terms of uh, even strength ice time by uh, the Horvat line. I think they're probably, you know, if they end up in the 40-point range, I think that's what we expect. It's not a question. Right. They're not going to all of a sudden get 70 points again this year. Yeah, in no, my definitely mind. not. I think I think those days are yeah, long of gone course. at this point. So I think, I, I guess it all depends, uh, and it could be like next summer. Uh, the twins are kind of this summer's Gagne and uh, you know Vanek, right? Mm-hmm. It might be okay. We need we need one more year. Well, because our uh, Dolan and uh, Goldobin and Pedersen aren't ready yet, right? We need one more year to let these these kids, you know, flourish in the minors before they come up and make an impact at the NHL level. That might be the case. Right. I'm not sure. But I don't think the Twins are going to hold the Canucks for host- hostage to get another job for, for money. I think they'd like to play, but they'll also know that if they can't play anymore. Right. But so do you think that trading them during the season is just off the table? I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. yeah, I think. Well, especially since the Canucks now can't even retain salary because they've retained Yeah few deals so it's yeah. it's gonna to be tough to fit those guys on anyone's cap and i don't think the twins are interested in, in chasing a cup you know I, th- I mean it's worked for some i mean they probably though looked at a guy like jerome mcginla and the way his career ended yeah you know so i i, I just think that when they wrote the players tribune article obviously it was to try to get the question out of everybody's mouths until near the end of the season mm-hmm. let's not talk about it yeah. maybe it comes up again at the deadline um but I don't think they want the same situation with them that happened to Sundin, where fans uh, kind of uh, sour on them because they're not willing to at the end. Right. Um, where they're saying, now, we don't want to, and if this has to be it, then this is it. Yeah. Well, this has been my stance all along, but I understand that, you know, especially as a numbers guy, there's no, sen- there's no place for sentimentality in this business. Of course. But there is a part of me that, you know, would like to see them play it out here and not be wearing some weird different uniform and you know looking like shells of themselves like like all those you know yeah. there's a countless examples of former greats who spent the first 15 years of their career with one team and then all of a sudden went started chasing that cup and it just it just like it just doesn't sit right with me yeah i think there's but i i, I agree with you that in a vacuum numbers should all be all that matter really when you're making uh, decisions with a team but sometimes that just can't be the case. Like, you know, a season ago, would you be trying to acquire, you know, a Vander Kane seriously? Like, there are other factors right. with things that you can't always just look at the numbers. Um, now, if you could fetch something for the Twins and you went to them and said, listen, we have this offer. This playoff team wants to bring you guys in for the third line. Maybe you can approach them right. and see what, what happens. But I don't think that's going to come out in the public. Yeah. And listen, I mean, while they're, you know, not going to be the players they, they once were, I still think it's fair to say that, they're probably like the main reason people would come to the rink to watch the Canucks still, even in 2017-18, which is probably like an indictment of the team yeah. more than anything. But, you know, in these rare occasions, you still see the flashes of yeah. that cycle down low and some of that greatness. And you're like, that was fun. I like that. Yeah. So. But, but I think that for the last couple of seasons, it's the first time like um, we've kind of asked ourselves before it was kind of like plug and play. Whatever person you play with the right. twins are going to be fine. Yep. Right, and and I'm not disrespecting Alex Burrows, who was tremendous with him and found yes. a way to maximize his spot on that line. But you know, the last couple seasons now, it's we you need to find a line mate that's going to help the Twins. Yeah, in terms of maximize what they can do, and and I think for me it's Granlin because he kind of yeah. reminds me of what Hanson did. I don't and, know about that uh, the, the, the Vanek pairing there. I no, feel like no, that might be the slowest line in, in NHL history. Unless you don't plan ever on starting them in the neutral zone or yeah. the defensive zone. Yeah. Right, only after offense is on base. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I just I think it's interesting right now. I think that probably Travis Green's uh, more worried about having a shutdown line, mm. right? Uh, and that's why maybe he's got Granlin with uh, with Sutter at this point. Um, but I I hope that Granlin finds his way back out there because I I think that's the kind of play the Twins need. Someone on the line to go north and south. Right. Someone's a puck hog. Someone who can turn pucks over. Um, and so to me, I think at this stage in their career. That's the kind of player they need. 
Are there any other big 2017-18 uh, Canucks storylines that we haven't hit on yet? Uh, goaltending. Yeah. I mean, I kind of mentioned it. I, I'm, I'm worried. I mean, I, I think that uh, Markstrom's a good story with what, you know, being hyped as the best goaltending prospect in a long time. Right. Never making it in Florida, coming to Vancouver, sent back down, passing through waivers, uh, kind of refining his game a little bit with Cloutier, going to the Calder Cup final. I hope that he takes this opportunity and grasps it and, and has mm. um, himself a good season. Uh, I think I like his mental makeup. I think he's mentally probably a lot tougher than he was five years ago. Right. Um, but I'm still unsure, right? I still don't know about Markstrom Nielsen pairing. I, yeah. I have no, I have zero idea what's going to happen. And you know, part of that is with the defense that's playing in front of them, right? But uh, I just don't know, you know. And I was one of those guys that hated the idea of Ryan Miller when they signed him to the three-year deal, you know, six million a year. I yep. hate it, but I kind of see the purpose of having kind of a stabilizing guy back there that you can pretty much trust every night not to beat you. Yeah. Right? And, right and 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 for a rebuilding team that helps too to keep things competitive you're losing still right but your guys aren't getting mentally beat down because you're losing 5-1 of the games 3-0 five minutes in the first period yeah well especially with ryan miller he's pretty much been the definition of league average for the past however many years so yeah. and, and there's you know that sounds like a, like you're insulting him but that's actually a compliment because you know exactly it's like a steadying presence you yeah. know exactly what you're gonna get yeah and that's tough for a goaltender to do for yeah. over a long period yeah, of time yeah for sure yeah. um yeah, one anecdote on Markstrom. I, I told you this at the time, but I was playing. Uh, it was a nice day out here in Vancouver. I was playing uh, playing some basketball outside, and uh, I saw him, Delzato, and Tanev come out and shoot some hoops. And he might be the worst basketball player I've ever seen. So I think it's it's only it's only trending upwards in terms of uh, stopping the puck compared to that. And someone else said that I think it must have been the same day, but um, Good Branson lives up above the basketball courts, right up on David Lamb. Yeah, yeah so he was. I guess he was taking. Uh, Instagram stories of him throwing baby carrots down at them on the court. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, all right, let's take a quick break here to hear from a sponsor, and we'll uh, we'll pick up this discussion on the other side of things. Before we resume our conversation with Dan Murphy, let me share some exciting news with you. The Hockey PDO Cast has itself a new sponsor. In the past, we've had FreshBooks, we've had SeatGeek, and now we have DraftKings, the leader in daily fantasy sports. And it's perfect timing with hockey season here, because now you can be part of the action all year long with one-day fantasy hockey at DraftKings.com. And I think for me, that's the key right there. The daily component of the equation is the best part. I love a lot of things about fantasy sports. Uh, the competition, the fact that it makes watching the games more fun, and you're putting your knowledge of the sport to the test. But at the same time, with season-long leagues, it's such a huge commitment. It can get stale when you have all the same players every single day, and no one in your league wants to trade, and you know, you're scanning the waiver wire, and the best players available are Mark Arcabello and TJ Brendan. You don't have to worry about any of that with DraftKings, where if you've had a bad day or two and you pick the wrong players, you always get a clean sheet and a chance at a first start the following day. There's also so many different ways to play. You can choose between public contests with big cash prizes or private contests where you're facing off against your friends. So hurry over to DraftKings.com now and use the promo code PDO to play for free with your first deposit for your share of $5,000 in total prizes. That's promo code PDO to play for free with your first deposit, and that's only at DraftKings, the game inside the game. Uh, it's a minimum five de- $5 deposit required and eligibility restrictions apply, but you can go to DraftKings.com and check out all those details. And now, let's get back to our conversation with Dan Murphy. Okay, um, so I think that's enough about the Canucks this season. Um, I think we did, we, you know, we did 20 minutes on them there. That's, we, did our, we did our due diligence. Um, let's talk a little bit about sort of your job and... Um, go back in time i don't want to make you feel old or anything but you know some of the some of the different characters and personalities you've come across covering the canucks for all these years um when when, when did you start covering the canucks for sportsnet uh so uh basically in um oh one prior to the oh one oh two season mm-hmm. uh bell owned both sportsnet and tsn okay uh perry Solkowski was hosting the canucks broadcast at the time because he would do half the games on VTV and half the games on uh, Sportsnet. Yep. Um, then the CRTC said, you can't own, this is cornering the market, you can't have both right. you know, 24-hour sports networks, you have to sell one. Yep. So, of course, they sold Sportsnet at the time. It was the baby. Uh, and since Perry was a CTV employee, he couldn't afford just to go over and do, to do 40 games a year or 60 games a year only. So I got the Canucks job kind yep. of out of default, which was nice. You were covering the Grizzlies before. I did in the Grizzlies for a year. So that was uh, the 01-02 season. Uh, right. So that was the year that uh, the Detroit Red Wings playoffs. Yes. Yes. So that was my first year uh, 
covering the team full time, traveling. Uh, Mark Crawford was the coach. Um, you know, when you mentioned Cluche uh, uh, was the goalie, uh, so that was kind of my first year, uh, and the team was just on the upswing. So I kind of, I almost came in at the same time as the Twins. Yeah. Well, that that stretch from '01 there to '04, I guess, was sort of. I mean, I was ten years old in '01, and that was sort of my like. Sometimes sports and life aren't fair uh, <laughs> moments and real wake up calls in that regard, sort of because I remember I, I love that team so much, and you know they take the first two games uh, from Detroit in Detroit, and then you know they come back here and Gluche gives up the goal from center ice to Glidstrom, and everything falls apart and. I, I guess Eisman couldn't even walk. He's yeah. using a stick to yeah. get off. And then the, the Red Wings go on and win the cup. Um, yeah, you know, that, I guess that was the real sort of peak there from I guess about 2000 to maybe 2003, 2004 for the West Coast Express. And you know, I was looking at the numbers while we were preparing for the show, and the numbers Naslin and Bertuzzi were putting up were were insane. I believe that year in particular. Uh, they were second and third in the league in scoring, yeah. and Bertuzzi actually was running away with it on a per game basis because I think he made ten games as well there. Yeah. So, I mean, just that, that was probably a pretty good time to uh, to come into the job and start covering the team. It was, I mean, it was fantastic. I, and I, before I forget, I kind of the the modern day equivalents to me, mm. uh, I kind of think like Jamie Ben and Tyler Sagan, mm. Bertuzzi Nazem. That's kind of right. like the combo yeah. that, that yeah, yeah. you see in this day and age. Um, but yeah, I mean, those two were dynamite. Um, uh, actually, and, and as a character, Bertuzzi was, you know, a real fun guy to be around. Like yeah. he was a grumpy bastard when the media was around, right? But he was actually a very good sense of humor when the cameras were off. Uh, Naslin and Bertuzzi. So now the makeup on the plane is ownership at the front, and then going back, it's ownership, management, uh, coaches, media, training staff, players. But back in those days, the players sat right behind the media. So Shorthouse and myself sat right in front of Naslin and Bertuzzi. Mm. Like, they were right behind us the whole time. Bertuzzi was a terrible flyer. He'd lay on the ground sometimes on takeoff or turbulence, cover his head. Like, and Henrik, too, by the way, so I don't want to embarrass him. But, <laughs> but uh, so, I, I mean, I would talk to Todd all the time on flights. Mm. Um, and just a funny guy. I, I, I keep in touch with him now. And so I'm, that's why I'm kind of happy to hear him on the radio. Right. You kind of get to see his personality yeah. a little bit. Yeah. That, you know, and I think... He was kind of, you know, oh, that was a tough, you know, probably 10-year ten, ten stretch for him yeah. Um, yeah, by his own fault, obviously. Yeah. Uh, but that was a real exciting time with that team because it was a lot of young guys kind of growing together. Yeah. I mean, you had Jovanovski on the back end. Salo was kind of still unheralded, uh, unheralded out of uh, uh, Ottawa. So it was a, you know, it was a fun time to kind of be around that team so when you mentioned you know Bertuzzi and sort of getting to know him off the ice and you know interacting like that and having quality conversations I mean obviously you've been doing this job long enough now where I, I assume you've kind of nailed this down to a science but does it make it difficult sort of reporting in an unbiased perspective when you might be privy to information on a personal level uh. that the a casual fan out there isn't well I mean but that would have been the ultimate test right, right. I had to cover his trial yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a court case. Right. I mean, you're dealing only in facts. So how did you feel like while that was going on? Well, I mean, it's but it's your job. I yeah. mean, and I th- and I think that I mean, f- for the most part, I mean, reporting facts about that whole thing was obviously kind of easy. Right. I mean, where if you were doing radio interviews and stuff, where I remember going on uh, uh, a couple shows in Colorado, and you know, then you can have your opinion on whether or not the tears were real in his press conference. Right. And where the Colorado people say, you know, crocodile tears, and you're saying, I kind of thought it was genuine. You right. know? So that's where you, the d- disagreement was. But, I mean, we saw what happened on the ice. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. uh, reporting the facts from the trial, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it, I think it's still, I'm not a columnist, I'm not an editorialist. Mm. You know, I write sometimes, right. but... I think most of the time when you report, you're reporting facts. Right. So as long as you're not straying from the facts, how can an athlete uh, g- that you might kind of have a personal issue with get, get mad at you? Yeah. You can. Yeah, um, that's right. It's, 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 uh, I've never, you know, there's been the odd time, more so coaches or GMs that have been really pissed at me. A couple times players too have said like, how, you know, you know, this is what you said here. It's out of context, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I had one with Kessler one time. Berkey pulled me aside one time. Um, 
didn't like my line of questioning to a player. Crawford wanted to have me kicked off the charter one time because of a story <laughs> I did in the morning. And I remember this story. They got they blew a few leads in a game. They were on a losing streak. I did the story on the off day, and I, I when I filed the story, I thought in my head, "Am I being too easy on this team mm. in this story?" Yeah. And the next day, I found out Jack McAllister's like, "You better stay out of Crow's way because he wants you off the charter." I was like, "Man, maybe I wasn't too easy." On <laughs> but I mean, that's that you're dealing with. These are people whose jobs they want to protect their players, they want to protect protect themselves. Right. But I think for the most part, if you report in facts, right. Well, I think especially you know it's a bit tougher now when if the team is losing a lot. Like, you don't want to be, you want to be fair about it, but you don't want to be, like, overly critical or even, like, sometimes people can take stuff very personally if you're yeah. criticizing their performance. But, you know, you also don't want to be the type of sort of homer sometimes you see, I'm not going to name any names, but in every yeah. market there are certain individuals that work in the media where it's like they spin everything in the most positive direction possible, yeah. and sometimes it's not, that's not, that, that's not reporting facts. And I, and I think, because especially now with social media, hmm. Um, and you're, you're, you're live tweeting during a game, different things. I think the thing, uh, because when you have to be critical on a team over and over and over and over again, a team that loses a lot of games, I think where you have to be careful of is, is sarcasm and snark, yeah. like being mean about it. Right. I think that's probably where you can get out of And it's easy to. You want to make a joke. There's an easy joke sitting out there. You can do it. And then kind of forgetting, like, you know, let's not pile on. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's what you have to be careful with in this day and age, whereas yeah. before that, that avenue wasn't available. Yeah. Right? You'd be thinking it, and you'd be saying it to the guy sitting beside you in the press box, and you have a good chuckle over it. Yeah. But now you actually put it out there, and then you're like, eh, I probably didn't need to pile on. Yeah. I mean, I'm listen, I'm starting to learn that myself. Where uh, <laughs> Company now, man. Now that I'm getting a, a larger profile and more people are looking at my Twitter feed, I, I can't throw necessarily the type of uh, bombs that I was throwing before, but yeah. I guess yeah. you, you got to learn from your mistakes. Um, yeah, I mean, so... Let's talk a bit more about that team. Um, Mark Crawford was the coach at the time. Yep. And now, you know, he went overseas. Uh, he came back. Now he's the assistant coach in Ottawa with Guy Boucher. And sort of, by all accounts, you hear maybe, you know, he maybe re- re- refined his approach to coaching. Or, you know, you hear this stuff all the time where guys go away a bit, maybe go over to Europe and come back with a new outlook on life and, and their profession. Um, I, I think the rep, the rap on Crow and all of his stops was great the first couple of years. And then eventually yelling at you for uh, <laughs> enough days in a row, will eventually sort of dilute that message. And, you know, Ken Hitchcock is another example of that. Like, yeah. is that, is that I, accurate? I, you think? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I, I mean, players back in those days, you know, I remember asking guys, cause at the time Laviolette was in Carolina and he yelled a lot back then too. And I remember asking Merrick Malik, hmm. you know, who yells more? And he goes, I think, because I, I wanted to know about Crawford, because I think that, you know, maybe Laviolette is louder and more sustained because Crow is way meaner. Like, he would just cut guys down on the bench. So maybe, yeah. so maybe he's refined that. He went to L.A. Uh, and then went to Dallas yep. and flamed out there, right, mm-hmm. pretty quickly. And then now he's been waiting again. So you, all, you hear the story, summer Crow, winter Crow, which is totally true. You get Crow in the summer and you talk to him warm stuff you get during season you could pass him in a hallway of a hotel and he might not even look at you yep so i mean that's that's the way he's been i don't know as he changed maybe mm. he's different as an assistant right or associate than he was well, a head like coach the, but if he gets the head coach back does he revert i feel like the uh the assistant coach in, in the nhl and i guess for all all sports is sort of like the uh, the backup quarterback where yeah. it's like you know, good call bad call and everyone's like clamoring for the assistant coach and then all of a sudden when he gets into the job maybe <laughs> things change a little bit exactly, exactly. um so okay, so we we spin it forward. I'm I think the net, the following season they come back from a three one deficit against the Blues, and then they blow their own three one lead against the Wild. Yeah, and then the year after was the one that I guess twelve or thirteen year old Dmitry Filipovich really took <laughs> took took hard. Um, you know they win that game six in Calgary in triple overtime. I believe Brendan Morrison scored the goal, and yeah. then the following game, game seven at home here, uh, Marty Jelena just. Stuck a dagger in my heart, and you know, power play goal. Every 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 time he comes up on the bench on on TV broadcasts, or you hear his name, it's it's been <laughs> however many years now. I still think back to that, and I still I still haven't let it go. Well, I'll, I'll give you one story, and I've, I've said it before. Uh, I'm not sure what uh, venue, but Game Six, because at the time Mark Bergevin was a healthy scratch. He was a mm-hmm. black ace with the Canucks. Yep. And so I was, you know, we're down at the press room in Calgary because the game could end at any time, right? So you want to get ready to, you're not up in the press box anymore. And uh, 
Bergevin was obviously in the dressing room and then the players go in after the second uh, uh, second overtime so he comes out in the hallway so we're just kind of chatting and his line was the boys are so tight you couldn't squeeze a grease BB up their asses right now because <laughs> <laughs> he was a, he was always a joker yeah. but and then they scored and then yeah I mean I I remember that game seven too because Jovanovski was in the box right yeah to score the yeah. tying goal yeah, yeah. Um, and then within a minute, it was over. I think Alex All was in goal. But, uh, yeah, that I think for the Canucks and Bertuzzi was suspended. Wasn't, wasn't playing. So I think that could have been – and Kluche got hurt yep. in, the first, in, the, in that series. So I think that uh, that could have been a year where maybe there was some damage done. Yeah. But, you know, heck. Yeah, this, speaking this of – This is the Canucks. Kluche, um, I remember the time – Everyone around here, and, and myself included, you know, I, I was a huge fan of his. I, I loved sort of just the way he played the position and, you know, how gritty and intense he was and all this. And obviously the team was good at the time, so he was piling on the wins. And yeah. that was a time where I thought wins were the most important uh, metric for, for evaluating <laughs> goalies. And things have obviously changed over the past handful of years. But, um, yeah, looking back at it now, it's it's kind of, in hindsight, it, it, it is a little upsetting because you look at how good that team was and then... The fact that Cluche was just so below average, and I mean, you know, obviously, say percentage across the league was down at that time, but yeah. even compared to his peers, his performance was lagging a bit behind. And yeah. at the time, everyone, I feel like most people were kind of cool with it, just because the way he played the position. And we, I guess, more innocent times. And I, I agree. And I, but I think he did improve. He did get better. Yeah. Um, and then injuries kind of derailed his career. But I mean, the Canucks were the best team in the entire league in 2011, and they had a very good goaltender, Roberto Luongo. So it never. You're not guaranteed anything with anyone yep. uh, in goal. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think that perhaps, uh, you know, in those years, because in that game seven against Minnesota the year prior, uh, it wasn't very good. Yep. And that was the, 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 the Excel Energy Center was just relentless in that game six or in that whole playoff series. I don't know if you remember, whenever an opposing goal had in a goal, the whole crowd would point in unison so just picture the tomahawk chalk. Yeah. Except they'd all be pointing at the one goalie, and they'd be chanting, Sif, Sif. <laughs> and it was so loud. And you'd just see a goalie or a kluche just shrinking more and more into the net, you know, after giving up yep. a goal. But, uh, yeah, I can remember that vividly, too. And that was, you know, we're not, people lining up for tickets. Bertuzzi, yep. you know, we're not, what are you lining up for? We're not coming back. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, speaking of those chants and how it can sometimes get to you, um, you know, I'm sure people saw this during their cup run last year uh, in Nashville, but I actually went to a game, I believe, in like December or something. It was a throwaway game against the Avs. But, you know, I guess it was Picard and at the time and he gives up a couple goals and everyone in the crowd is chanting, it's all your fault and you suck. And it's 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 like I, you know, I think I think chanting the goalie's name is one of the most useless chants because I I guess I don't know if you're really mentally fragile. Maybe that would affect you. But like. 20,000 people saying it's all your fault yeah. and you suck seems like even if you're a pretty confident individual it could probably rattle you a little yeah, bit yeah that cell block 303 or whatever they've got a whole bunch it's almost like a college basketball yeah. atmosphere yeah, a really, little bit right yeah. with those chants and they even had that when they first came into the league when they were still getting their chants up they do the uh, the starting lineup you know sort of like starting you know in goal Ryan Miller sucks you know right. defense Tanev sucks Edler sucks they get the coach coaching the Vancouver Canucks Willie Desjardins he sucks too you know so <laughs> They have a whole bunch of difference. It just cracks me up every time in there. So I think Canucks fans, uh, the ones that are still listening at this point, will probably hate us because we're really opening all the old wounds. But <laughs> we're sort of, you know, we're making our way up to present day right now. So we've got to talk about 2010-11. Yep. Um, and I, the reason I bring it up is because yesterday I was doing a, uh, a, a Q&A on, on Reddit, uh, an AMA, and I got asked, um, was there any point during that 2011 playoff season where you sort of let yourself think that the Canucks were actually going to win the Cup? Yeah. Um, yeah, Burroughs. Yeah, game two. Yeah, yeah. When they go up two nothing, you're yeah. thinking, "Well, wow. I was like, this, this might." Like, I mean, then because you're thinking they've got to lose four of the next five, right? Right. And at that point, you know, they, you know, they, there'd been a couple of, you know, a couple of hiccups against Chicago, but you know, Kessler was great. Nashville, they kind of steamrolled San Jose thanks to the power play, uh, and then they get into the the final and they win the first game, late goal, second game, overtime. They're like, okay, maybe this is this is it. Yep. Right. And game three happened. You're like, well, maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, there's so many what-ifs in sports. Ham Hughes. Right. 
Rome. I mean, I, I chuckle when you look at that Game 7 lineup, not to belittle anyone, but mm. Glass, Oreskovich, Tambellini, right? right. I mean, who was playing on defense. They'd called up Nolan Baumgartner from the beach. Yeah. You know, get him to tell that story one time. <laughs> and basically, he was on a beach for a month, like, uh, you know, Edler <laughs> broke his finger, and uh, Rome's been suspended, and some Alberts got hurt. Like, yeah. hey, we might need you. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean whatever the you know, best player on the ice i think for that whole series was tim thomas yeah and yeah, no uh, question. And he, you know he won the cup yeah it's just remarkable i mean it hasn't even what it's been seven years now since and obviously i mean it, listen in this sport things can change so fast and especially with the salary cap it's things can generally go downhill a lot faster than they go improving uphill so i don't know it's just it's 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 crazy to look back and see everything that's happened in this market since then well and how kind of fast it evaporated. I mean, they had a great year the next year, yeah, uh, yeah. but LA was just otherworldly in the playoffs against everyone. Yeah. Well, that was my big sort of come to Jesus moment with analytics where yeah. I remember, I think, I think Thomas Trance was like, and, and Cam Sharon were two of the only people at the time that were picking the Kings to, to beat the Canucks. And I was like, it's a one eight. Come on. This yeah. team won the president's trophy. There's no way they're going to lose. And <laughs> then you watch them play and you're just like, they just couldn't get the puck from the Kings. No. And they, what well, they went up three Oh in every playoff yeah. series, didn't yeah. they? And then yeah. I guess, it went yeah, their, six top, in the their, their top, toughest test was just Mike Smith being out of his mind for a couple of games. Yeah, yeah, and then they went six games in the finals, yeah. and then Steve Bernier ran some from behind, and then it was over. Yeah. That's all I kind of remember. Um, but yeah, and then, but so they were still very good. And Daniel was concussed, didn't come back till game three in the first round. But then the next year, they were just done. Hmm. They were done. Yeah, it evaporated. Pretty, I, mean, I believe they got swept by the Sharks, yeah. and Elie Mignot was out. And yeah, yeah, but like you could tell there that that was it. it the mojo had officially run out of that group. Hmm. So. Like what? Are, looking back at the Ali and Vino era, I'm always interested by this because it, it's such a divisive topic in Vancouver, and I think we're starting to see it a bit in New York now. And this is probably true of every coach. Eventually, you sort of wear your welcome, and yeah. if you're unless you're winning the cup every year, you're generally going to be considered as uh, on the hot seat and in, in, in a big market. And you know, at the time, um, people gave him a lot of credit for the Canucks' success, but also sort of embracing stuff like playing the city in an incredible amount of offensive zone starts yeah. and, and stuff like that and really using Manny Maholtra for all the defensive stuff and, and things like that. And I'm still a, an advocate of what he's doing in New York, but then you see some of the stuff where you know he's playing Dan Girardi and, and Mark Stahl more than he's playing some of the other way more talented yeah. options and it becomes tough to defend. And I think the, the rap on him was always sort of not trusting young guys. Yeah. But I guess you could, that's sort of like a universal thing amongst NHL coaches. Right? I think I totally think it is, and I think all coaches have uh, their blind spots. Yeah, yeah all coaches have guys they trust. All coaches have Tanner Glass right now. What's that? Well, no, I mean, but, but he didn't trust him. I mean, he only right. played eleven games in the league last yep. year, but then you know, due to injuries and stuff, he got to play in the playoffs yep. and was decent. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, and and it's and it's and this is where um, players and I think coaches alike where the eye test versus the numbers test for them um, is especially players when they're in the battle, they only see the guys that are hammering guys in the corner and, and trying to you know fight other guys or whatever. They see that like that's when they're, they're they don't yeah. understand that someone else is going to get the puck out of the zone real quickly. They just right. see, okay, this guy's willing to crush. Yeah, yeah. So that, I think coaches get that a little bit too, where they see guys that are battlers and, and they, and they fall in love with the way, uh, they battle instead of the way they play, and I think that's why coaches get blind spots on certain players. Well, and I think I feel like we see that most this time of year. I mean, a good example is, um, you know, Kaylor Yamamoto makes the makes the Oilers out of camp, and it's somewhat surprising. And then you see he plays like five or six minutes in his first game, and I, you know, makes a mistake at one point and just gets benched for an entire period. And I think that's like the most frustrating thing yeah. as as a fan when you just you sort of see that type of conservative nature and, and punishing young players for trying to play their game and occasionally making mistakes, which do happen, right? Yeah. And I, I I try to be forgiving because I understand that, you know, if, you, if you're the coach and you have your job is on the line, you might be making different decisions than if you're just sitting back from the comfort of, your, of the couch, but it can be sometimes kind of grinding, my, grinding your gears a little bit. Yeah, and I, I think we're going to see that a little bit uh, with the Canucks. Like mm. People really want to see Vertan and really want to see Besser, um, but I'm not sure what uh, Green's trust in is in either of those players yet. Yep. I bet they question Besser's foot speed a little bit, 
And I bet they question uh, Vertanen's defensive capabilities a little bit. So, but if you're going to, uh, I mean, this is the whole development thing. If you're going to have Vertanen with the team, you got to let him play. And if he's not going to play, then send him down. Right. Right. I mean, that's the whole thing. So if he sits out the first game, he's got to get him the second game because you can't have, um, you know, these young assets not playing somewhere, not developing somehow. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, best John Tortorella story. Oh, I mean, it wasn't a long run, so you. I, I mean, I'm, maybe there are a lot of stories, but oh boy, um, I remember someone. I, I don't know if we to- talked about this, but I remember. I feel like the last time you were on, you, you gave me like a toilet story or something. like yeah, that. Yeah, and there was a there was another one where Booth got shredded for being late to a meeting, but he had been there the whole time. Um, <laughs> uh, just. David Booth back in the NHL, by the way. Yeah, but I, I always thought he, as a fourth-line value player yeah. at a million, I always thought that he could play. Right. He, I don't know if he got kind of banished because he was a little bit weird. As, yeah, definitely uh, zany and out yeah, there. And yeah. also, you know, the contract and what they paid to get him. And, yeah, well, exactly. But even after that, he right. went to Toronto, right? He had yep. his numbers were okay. Yep. Like, but, um, boy, I have to get, like, Tortorella, I'll just say this to Tortorella. If you had, if you talked to John Tortorella one-on-one, you'd believe everything he said. Right. If he guy looked you in the eyes and he spoke with conviction, yeah. you believed, right? And then you're kind of like he walks away and you're like, "What was there? I'm just, <laughs> just a spell right there." <laughs> yeah. Like, like you know, I'm ready to do this. So, um, you know, I, I never, uh, you know, and again, and this is where like it's tough not to let how you feel get in the way of how you evaluate someone he was always a very very nice man to me right but then you hear how he treated some players yeah and you're like the the, the two don't compute and and you have to evaluate a guy on how he deals with players and if he hadn't talked to alex burroughs until uh december then what the heck was he doing as a coach yeah right i mean and and uh, and you got he wanted to trade burroughs and you know so all these kind of things where there work guys or coaches are working behind the scenes but you'll never hear that kind of stuff up front mm. so i uh i'll just say on a personal level you the way he dealt with me was such a contradiction of the way you heard he dealt with players right yeah i'm i'm very curious to see how uh i mean columbus as a team is fascinating but i'm also curious to see whether that honeymoon period runs out a bit because you saw all those stories last year, especially early in the year when, when Columbus was winning. It's like Torrell's a changed man, and well, and also too, remember like the, uh, it was the World Cup. Yep, and the U.S. just got decimated. Yes, right, and then yep. he comes in, and everybody's expecting them just to fold out of the, you know out of the tent, yep. and then they had a pretty good season. So I think he, he's another guy that you know runs hot. Um, the good players are usually going to like him because he plays them a ton, mm. but he can be uh, uh, tremendously hard on people, and and I think. That's where uh, Green is a bit of a new school, old school. Right. He's going to be really hard on guys, but I think he's a very good communicator yeah. to tell them why he's being hard yeah, on someone them. Yeah, someone like a Mike Sullivan, I think, you know, you hear all these stories about how, you know, you can see definitely you need to be a disciplinarian in, in some sense and keep guys in line, but you also sort of have to relate to the players. Otherwise, I mean, it is like a work setting and you're kind of coworkers. You yeah. know, I guess you're technically their boss, but it's like you need to relate on some level beyond just telling them what to do. Exactly. You have to be able to communicate. Um, okay, one final thing before we get out of here. Um, Let's talk a little bit about analytics on television. Okay. Um, so I think, you know, you, you, you yourself have been very um, giving and willing to embrace it and learn and, and teach um, viewers and listeners at home about a lot of this stuff, but obviously run into a lot of roadblocks. Mostly, I think, would you say like the time restraints are probably the, the, the biggest challenge? Yeah, I would say that it's difficult to... Uh, to translate the numbers in a three-minute segment to people that might not necessarily recognize the most simple metrics, right. I think, right? Because I'm, I'm still like my baseline is low, yeah. And I, and we always talk with us. I want to have a tutorial. I want you to take whatever site we're using on Natural Stat Trick. Yep. I want to be able to go on there myself and say, type in this and let me see, you know, what. Do. But right. I think, I think you and I had a bit of a breakthrough last year yep. in terms of a good way to relate it to the average fan is with comparable. So over this 10-game stretch, you know, Marcus Granlin's scoring at the same rate as Alexander Ovechkin. So this 10 games or 15 games. So that, I think, is a good way that we'll be able to do it. But it's very, very hard because 
some people, you know, it's almost like stick to sports. Yeah. Right? right. Like with the yeah, political it stuff. It's like it that some people don't want to feel like you're giving them homework or, yeah. you know, but I think that it's becoming, I mean, obviously it's becoming uh, more and more widely known. It's obviously very valuable. So I think that even though the numbers guys like yourself are even further ahead, I think you still kind of have to start at the basic, basic stuff to let the people that have been reluctant yep. in to kind of finally realize where it is. So I think it, in television, it's still very difficult, yep. to, especially in a broadcast, right? Right In the course of a broadcast where you have 30 seconds yes. to tell a story out of a commercial break, <laughs> right? right? You, can't, you can almost can't do it yep. in that sense, unless you're going to run graphics, maybe. So maybe yep. there's a, instead of plus minus in two years, you're going to run just a course E4 yep. percentage beside a player. Maybe that. Or even just like a like a like a shot plus minus, right? Because exactly. I think that's yeah. people at home would probably be able to grasp that. A Goals bit more per sixty, like yeah. just like certain things yeah. like that. I think that are pretty easy to grasp, right? So I think that's the way it's got to go. But it's just so hard to know what because when you, I mean, Sportsnet, uh, TSN, CBC, they'll do these different surveys. Um, and you got to realize that still a lot of your viewership is 50 to 70. Yeah. You know, actually, you know, 40 to yeah. 70. Like, really, it's still like a kind of a young man's game, the numbers yeah. game. Yeah, no, that's right. And obviously, you know, this is a, another storytelling tool. But another thing you got to keep in mind is you got to entertain the viewer. And sometimes if you are just reciting numbers, it I understand it can be a bit dry and a bit boring for people. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I, I think definitely the graphics and comparables and just sort of putting stuff in perspective and maybe even like if you if you do like a sort of a series where you start off super bare bones and you just basically outline what everything means and then all of a sudden like you like you build on it slowly because i do think you know there's obviously casual fans that tune in once every couple weeks or whatever but a lot of people do generally kind of progressively tune in for every game as well and it's going to take um you know big personalities in the media Mm. uh you know like you know mike johnson has embraced it elliot friedman i think has embraced it so it's going to take some of these guys to bring it to the real main stream right to show that it's actually cool (laughs) exactly exactly no honestly i mean that's what it's going to have to be and um i'm I'm really interested to see how it's going to be integrated Mm-hmm. Uh, as broadcasts go on, because it's it it is very difficult still at this at this stage to to get it in shows. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to see uh, where we take that in the future. Um, Dan, I appreciate you taking the time to do this. Um, speaking of those broadcasts, let's let's plug some stuff. So where can people find you, and what can they look forward to this season? For you? Same thing, regional uh, Canucks with the odd hockey night game on the road thrown in. Uh, so first uh, up, uh, like a. The CBC crew's doing the, the opener, so that'll be done by the time this runs. So Tuesday, mm-hmm. Tuesday night, Senators in town, Thursday, the uh, Jets. So both those will be our broadcast. Cool. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing that and working with you this season, and uh, we'll chat soon. Thanks for having me on. The Hockey PDO cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO cast. Mm-hmm.